How's everybody doing? Doing pretty good? Did you have a good break? Nice holiday. Anybody get sick like we did? <laughs> we, uh, we had two weeks of sickness in our house. Five out of six of us got sick, and we just kept passing it along. I told people earlier today it was like a movie uh, script with just... Nobody was sick for more than about four days, but everybody passed it along, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Christmas morning, I got up, opened presents with all my kids, and about 10 a.m. said, I have to go to bed. Leah said, baby, you go to bed. She said to the kids, daddy's going to bed. <laughs> and that's what, uh, that's, what our, that's what our Christmas was like. But welcome to... Uh, spring, our spring semester with the Equip Institute. It's not really spring, it's a spring semester. The winter term in the spring semester for uh, the Equip Institute, and I am so excited about our topic this spring. But before we start talking about it, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this night and for the opportunity that we have to be in this place and to begin our conversations about Christian doctrine. And Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together, not just tonight, but we commit uh, these next several weeks to you, Lord. We pray that you would be at work uh, in and among us, that you would help us to grow in what we know, but not just so that we can know more things, Lord. We pray that uh, as we grow in knowledge of these topics, that we would grow in our love for you and our love for this church and our love for the lost, Lord. And we trust that you'll be at work in our lives in that way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are beginning our second semester of uh, the Equip Institute. By way of reminder, for those of you who were with us uh, in the fall, and that's many of you who were with us in the fall, so thank you for coming back. Uh, the Equip Institute exists to equip members of Taylor's First Baptist to think rightly about God and His Word for the sake of living rightly before God in His world. The Institute, uh, we've not said this in a while, but just as a reminder, the Institute's a two-year discipleship program that focuses on four major themes, Christian story, Christian belief, Christian formation, and Christian witness. So we talked about Christian story in the fall, and so we focused a lot on the story of Scripture, how to read the Scriptures and interpret them and things like that. Now we're moving into Christian belief. So what we're going to do uh, in the coming days is we're going to have a 16-week introduction to basic Christian doctrine. We're going to start tonight, and we're going to go through the month of April. Most of those weeks are going to be devoted to a doctrine, kind of one doctrine per week. Tonight's a little bit of an exception because it's an introduction, but there's also two different nights, March 6th and April 24th, if you want to write that down, March 6th and April 24th, there is no doctrine, it's just open conversation. Because we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. So we wanted to very intentionally build in two nights 
where we just come in and we can dig a little deeper and dialogue about the things that we've been learning about. Or you can say, well, how come we didn't talk about so-and-so? Because we don't have time to talk about all the so-and-sos. But that might be a time to do that during those two nights. Uh, So we've set those two nights apart for open discussion, lingering questions, chasing rabbits, all that stuff. Also, uh, just to have this in mind, March 20th, we will not meet. There'll be no Wednesday night activities March 20th because that is uh, Greenville County spring break and we won't meet that night. So, uh, so one night we won't meet, two nights open discussion, and the rest of the time besides tonight we'll be focusing on particular doctrines and digging into those. And I think we're going to have a good time to, uh, together. But tonight, instead of talking about a particular doctrine, Uh, This is our introduction to Christian theology, just to sort of orient us and help us to uh, be rowing in the same direction as we're studying these things. I'm not watching what she writes, but I assume it's dates. It is dates. Thank you for that. Uh, So we're going to do an introduction to Christian theology. Some of you have heard some of this before, and I know that. If you have heard some of this before, be patient with me because not everybody has heard some of this before. And, uh, and even if you have heard some of this before, because I've talked about some of these things a couple of occasions on Wednesday nights and, and other stuff, uh, it still just seemed like a good idea for us to step back this first week and, and to introduce the topic and know kind of where we're going and what we're going to do. Does that make sense? Uh, And even if you've heard everything I've done at Taylor's over the last year or so, uh, there'll be some new stuff tonight. I'm just telling you that if some of it sounds familiar and you're going, wait, I think I've heard him talk about that before, that's because you have. Uh, Some of it is definitely uh, a refresher. So any questions before we get started on our introduction to theology? Well, let me begin with a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word theology? Or maybe the word doctrine or something like that. What what do you think of when you hear that word? There's a lot of right answers. So don't be shy. A core set of beliefs. Study of God. Anybody else? Those are good answers. There's more than one way to legitimately answer that question. So let's talk a little bit about that. Many theologians define theology as simply speaking about God. That's very common if you look at a theology book. And, And here's the reason. That word theology combines two Greek words, theos, Theo, which means God, and logos, ology, which means word, words about God. So it's very common for someone to just say, uh, theology is uh, our words about God. We're talking about God, and that's a legitimate way to define theology. I'm going to give you one textbook definition, and it's in the notes for you. The, uh, the Baptist theologian Millard Erickson has uh, written a textbook on theology. I'm going to mention several of those at the end of the night. This is how he defines it. That discipline which strives to give 
a coherent statement of the doctrines of the Christian faith based primarily on the Scriptures, placed in the context of culture in general, worded in a contemporary idiom, and related to issues of life. So he's saying it's about doctrines, makes sense, comes primarily from the Scripture, but in a way that we can understand it in our culture and in a way that we can relate it to life. It's a pretty good textbook type definition of theology. Now you've already heard some of you for many weeks what I call my everyday definition of theology because it's our mission statement for the Equip Institute. So when I'm teaching classes or whenever I'm speaking in churches on this topic, uh, I define theology as thinking rightly about God and His Word for the sake of living rightly before God in His world. We want to think rightly about God, but we want that to uh, issue forth in changed lives that are making a difference. And so uh, I like the way that uh, I like the way that everyday definition weaves together uh, the theoretical and the practical, weaves together the root and the fruit, the foundation and the structure. I think it's a more helpful way to talk about it than a textbook definition. And it says a little bit more than just saying theology is talking about God or our words about God. We don't want to simply learn true information about God, though we want to do that. That's not the only thing we want to do. We want God to use theological truths to conform us more to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be more like Him because of what we're studying. By the way, did you know that theology, the study of God, Theology is the only topic that if you study it so much, you're worshiping it, you're not committing idolatry. You think about that. Every other topic, you study it too much, you love it too much, you're an idolater, but not God. We ought to love the Lord more. We ought to be driven to worship by our study of God and His ways. That's a healthy thing, not an unhealthy thing. One theologian says it like this, The traditional goal of Christian theology is to develop a better understanding of God so that we can think and speak rightly about God within the context of a life governed by our faith in Christ and our discipleship to Him in community with other Christians. That's what we're driving at this semester. Not just learning new stuff, though. I hope everybody learns new stuff. I hope I learn new stuff as I'm preparing this. But it's not just about learning the new stuff. It's not even about digging deeper. It's not even about having the questions answered that you've been wondering about before. It's about loving Jesus more and loving Jesus' people more and loving people who aren't yet Jesus' people, but we want them to be Jesus' people more. That's what we're aiming at as we talk about theology. So any questions before we peel off another layer and start digging a little bit deeper? Yes? Not a question, but I think you can try the mic now. You think I can try the mic now? Testing. Oh, what's up? 
we have microphone usage now. I might not have to raise my voice quite as much. I like that. Let's talk about the different types of theology. It may surprise some of you to know that there are at least six different types of theology, each of which gives us a different and complementary picture of God and His ways. So this is all in the notes because some of these are technical terms, but I just think it's helpful to think about this right here in the front. Uh, there's what we might call exegetical theology, like the word exegesis, we're exegeting the Bible. Uh, exegetical theology is the study of the scriptures in their historical and grammatical context. That's, we were doing a lot of that last semester. We do this on uh, Sunday mornings whenever we hear an expository sermon or when our life groups and we're talking together uh, about verses of the Bible. And that's kind of the microscopic view of theology. You're digging into those texts and seeing what they say. But then there's also biblical theology. That's the second category. Some of you may remember that I think it was week four uh, last semester we devoted an entire night to the idea of biblical theology. That's the study of the scriptures in their canonical context or their redemptive historical context, tracing themes across the Scripture. So not just studying, for example, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, but tracing the theme of uh, Jesus' kingship across the Scriptures or something like that. That's a, it's a complementary way of doing theology. I call that the, the macroscopic view. You're stepping back and looking bigger. Then there is historical theology, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the study of how the church has reflected upon and attempted to articulate what's taught in the Scriptures. Uh, it's the historical view. Some of you know this, I love historical theology. So that's actually my academic discipline is primarily uh, the history of Christian doctrine. And so we're going to get a lot of that this semester because I like to talk about that. Systematic theology, number four, attempts to explain what the whole Bible has to say about any given topic. The integrative view. So this is uh, somebody says, uh, what does the Bible teach about angels? And you look at every Bible verse about angels and then see what the church has said, the historical study, and we come up with what we believe about angels. It's a systematic view. But then there's also moral theology. This focuses on the ethical implications of Christian theology for individuals or society. So this is an ethical view. Uh, as Christians, if we're talking about how to live rightly, how to be moral people, uh, we don't just want to be philosophical, we want to be theological. We want the teachings of Scripture and the best of the Christian tradition to guide the way that we engage with questions uh, whether that's uh, should I cheat on my taxes or not, or should I uh, act out in anger or not, or if it's big cultural questions like when does life begin? What's the relationship between biblical law and civil law? That's moral theology whenever you dig into those types of questions. And then finally, practical theology. It's just the intentional application of theology to the church's worship, witness, and ministry. How does theology affect preaching? How does it affect discipleship? 
How does it affect the choices of songs that we sing? Uh, how does it affect our strategy for reaching our community? So this is the pastoral view of theology. These six types of theology, I like to think of them as like a diamond. And they're different facets of a diamond. And just like uh, a diamond is more beautiful, the more that you can see those facets when you're turning it and the light shines on the different facets, so theology is more comprehensive and more useful whenever we're engaging to some degree with all of those different facets of theology. Does that make sense? Shines brighter. We see the beauty of God. Uh, theology shines most brightly when all those facets are polished to some degree. Any questions about these different types of theology? We could have mentioned some others. There's subcategories, but just wanted to show you there's more than one way to even approach this question. We're going to engage with several of them. Yeah. Um, go back to number two. Biblical theology. Explain the difference between that and systematic. That's a great question. So, biblical theology is thematic, and normally with biblical theology you're doing one of two things. You're either moving canonically, how do we study that topic from Genesis to Revelation, or you're moving uh, according to different authors. What is Paul's theology of grace? Or what is John's theology of repentance? Or something like that. Systematic theology is much more topical. So that's taking the topic like angels. You can do that biblically theologically. How does the theme of angels develop? Or you can just say, what are all the Bible verses about angels? Put them in a logical order from like the clearest to the least clear or the most important to the least important. That's the systematic view. So it's more topical versus the biblical view, which is more thematic. Does that make sense? And they're meant to be complementary to each other. Both valid ways to approach it. In fact, I would say the best systematic theology builds on biblical theology. It's good to, chase, to trace those themes across Scripture. Any other questions? So why does theology matter? Well, let's just go ahead and admit this. Many Christians think theology doesn't matter. Or they're scared of it. They think theology too often divides the body of Christ rather than uniting believers. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Or they're concerned that some doctrines seem esoteric or confusing or they seem to be less useful to Christian life and witness. Why do we have to have an answer to that question? Sometimes I hear people say things like, we don't need all this theology, but we just need Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world, not theology. There's little doubt that theology isn't always studied in a healthy manner, for sure. But doctrine is vitally important to the Christian life. If we were to take the time, and we don't have the time tonight, but I'm going to give you a verse here that I want you to be a good Berean and go study. If we were to spend 30 minutes digging into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, it's sort of the best short summary in the New Testament of the purpose behind the teaching ministry of the church. And if we were to go through that, I think we see at least 
five different themes that come out of those verses. Uh, the purpose of the teaching ministry of the church is to equip believers for the work of ministry. It says that in a straightforward way. Uh, to build up the body of Christ. To cultivate spiritual maturity. To help believers avoid errors. Because there's always that temptation. And to promote unity among believers. That's what theology is supposed to do are those things. I think that's a holistic vision of theology that includes the, the head, what we're thinking, the hands, what we're doing, the heart, the things we love and the reasons that we love them. That's what theology is supposed to do. Theologians often refer to this vision uh, with three different words, and you've heard some of these before, like orthodoxy which just means right thinking, or orthopraxy, which means right practice, right doing, or my favorite, orthocardia. Some of you go see the cardiologist. It means right heart, having a healthy heart, spiritually speaking. Theology is meant to do all those things, to help us to think well, to help us to be faithful in our doing and to help us to love the right things in the right way for the right reasons. That's what theology is aiming at. And that's what the teaching ministry of the church, broadly speaking, is aiming at. Whether it's something like this or a Sunday morning sermon or a Wednesday night pastor Bible study or uh, all of us with open Bibles and a whiteboard thinking through a passage of Scripture and life group. The whole teaching of the ministry, the whole teaching ministry of the church is meant to cultivate that. It's important that we remember that we can't know God without knowing about Him. Intellectual knowledge is not enough. James 2.19 makes that clear when it talks about how even the demons believe and they tremble. Well, they believe, but they don't believe believe, right? So intellectual knowledge is not enough but we can't have authentic relational knowledge of God if we don't have correct intellectual knowledge about who God is and who we are and what's what in the world. We have to have some facts straight if we're going to have a healthy relationship with God. And this is especially true in a culture like ours that abounds with bad ideas about God and about creation, or what it means to be human, or whether or not sin exists, and, and where we're going in the future. Our world is filled with bad ideas about that stuff. Not counting bad ideas that churches get into sometimes. Culture is always trying to disciple us in bad directions. It's all the more important that we're thinking rightly about God and His Word for the sake of living rightly before Him in His world. And when it's rightly understood, theology is really just language that describes biblical faith and godly action, trying to rightly name what the Scriptures teach and what the Scriptures command of us. Now, God has gifted the body of Christ, not just this body of Christ, but the body of Christ. God's gifted the body of Christ with men and women who have advanced theological training and who use those gifts to serve the church. 
and, and praise the Lord for that. That's why we have Bible colleges and seminaries and even just self-taught folks who really know the Scriptures and know how to teach them to other people. Praise God for that. But I don't want you to miss this. Every Christian is a theologian. In fact, every human being is a theologian, believers and non-believers, because everybody is trying to figure out how to think rightly about the world. Everybody wants to understand life's ultimate questions, even if they're coming up with the wrong answers about those things. So the question isn't whether we, over the next 16 weeks, are going to be theologians or not. The question is, are we being faithful theologians or unfaithful theologians, or is it a mixed bag? That's the question. Because we're going to be theologians no matter what. The purpose of what we do in here, and even broadly speaking, the whole teaching ministry of the church is to help us to be faithful theologians, to think God's thoughts after Him and to apply them in the right way. When I think about white theology matters, I always have in the back of my mind Romans 12 too. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In that verse... Paul teaches us that God is working in our lives to correct worldly thinking and to bring transformational renewal to our minds by redirecting our affections, our heart, and our priorities, the way we think about things, Godward. Not inward, at least not inward in the wrong way. Not outward, at least not outward first, but Godward. Because whenever our hearts and our priorities are directed Godward, we'll get the inward and the outward right as the Godward is guiding that. So the result should be that we're living in a way that increasingly glorifies the Lord. Theology is intended to spur us on to spiritual maturity. And sound doctrine, studying sound doctrine, can be a means of grace in the life of a believer. Not saving grace. You're not going to get more saved by studying theology. But sanctifying grace. Helping us to grow and mature in our thinking and living the more we know about these things. And we'll talk about sanctifying grace and sanctification later this semester. Any questions before we talk about the sources of theology? Tom, I saw those glasses come off. You ready for a question? Yeah. All right. This may just be the, uh, not where you're headed, but in the last few minutes you have used the terms theology and doctrine, not interchangeably, but they've blended all over the place. Yeah. What's the difference? And maybe it's, let's keep going. No, I, I think they are virtual synonyms. If we were in a graduate-level course in theology, we could use these two words and three other words that all communicate particular nuances and different ways of framing it. I'm using them basically interchangeably this semester. Yeah. It's a great question, though. If I get a, if I get a really wild hair, I might say dogmatic sometime or something like that, but I'm going to try not to do that too much because we hear dogmatic and we get scared. 
Let's talk about the sources of theology. So what are we studying when we're doing theology? Well, since the time of the Reformation, Protestants, and that would include Baptists, we're a Baptist church, have argued that Scripture alone is our ultimate authority for faith and practice. Well, that includes theology. That's part of our faith and practice. So let me say it this way. If a doctrine isn't biblical, it isn't true. Might sound great. Might make a lot of logical sense. Might be part of a coherent system that we find compelling. But if it ain't biblical, it ain't true. In this way, the Bible is our supreme authority for theology. The first and most important place we look to determine sound doctrine. I like what J.I. Packer says about this. The first mark of good theology is that it seeks to echo the divine word as faithfully as it can. We want to sound as much like the Bible as we can, even if we're using words that aren't in the Bible. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a real-life example of why it's important that we use a word not in the Bible to communicate what the Bible teaches about a topic. But we'll get to that later. But, at the risk of making some of you nervous, Scripture is our ultimate source for theology, but it's not our only source. It's our ultimate source. A second source of theology is tradition. Now, before you get nervous, and we'll actually talk about tradition this weekend, next week, in different ways. Unlike our Roman Catholic friends, we do not argue that Scripture and tradition are equally authoritative sources of doctrine. We do not believe that. Scripture is our supreme authority. But tradition is an important and helpful secondary source of theology that helps us sometimes to understand the Scriptures. So I like to say it this way. Scripture is our supreme authority, but tradition is a servant authority for theology because it serves our interpretation and application of the Bible. Let me give you an example. Some, some of the most useful servant sources, tradition sources, are things like historic creeds, I think the Apostles' Creed, or confessions of faith. Our church has a confession of faith. Or catechisms, that's not as common in Baptist churches, but tools for teaching children the basic Christian faith, sometimes adults as well. Hymns, a lot of sound doctrine in the stuff we sing. Sometimes some squirrely doctrine in the stuff we hear in churches. But, uh, but lots of sound doctrine, man. Uh, many of us knew how to sing rightly about God long before we knew how to think rightly about God. And singing rightly about God helped us to think rightly about God. Or sermons. Sermons. Once a pastor dies... If there's any record of those sermons, you know what we call them? Tradition. It's part of the tradition. Or the writings of theologians. The good sort of books 
that you order from Amazon or a Christian book or that you buy at the bookstore and you take it home and you say, wow, that book really helped me to understand the Bible. Well, you know, intuitively that book doesn't have the same authority of the, as the Bible, but it helped you to understand God's supreme authority. So Scripture is a gift. I mean, excuse me, tr- Scripture is a gift from God. Tradition is a gift from God. It is a helpful authority, but it's a secondary authority, and it is under the final authority of the Word. So just to be crystal clear, tradition is only a useful source to the degree it affirms, clarifies, and reinforces the Scriptures. But when it does that, thank God for creeds and confessions and helpful books and good hymns and worship songs and uh, all those different things that the Lord uses to help us rightly understand Scripture and summarize what the Scripture teaches. But they're always under the final authority of Scripture. We don't, we don't change the Bible because of a hymn. We sing certain hymns because of what the Bible teaches. Any questions about Scripture and tradition. And we're going to come back to tradition next week and dig a little bit deeper and talk about some bad views of tradition, but that's a, that's a preview for what's to come. Anybody, whenever I'm talking about tradition, do you have a fiddler on the roof in your head? Besides my wife, I knew she was going to raise her hand. Every time I teach on this topic, I have in the back of my mind, tradition, tradition. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about theological triage, and I know that many of you have heard this before, but it's a helpful reminder before we begin doing this topic. So uh, if, you study for the, if you study theology for very long, you learn fairly quickly that sincere Christians frequently disagree among themselves concerning many doctrines. And sometimes that causes folks to fret. How do we know when a theological debate is a legitimate difference of opinion or when it leads to grievous error or maybe even unbelief. Well, Dr. Al Mohler, who is the president of Southern Seminary, has developed a really helpful concept that he calls theological triage for discerning the relative importance of particular doctrines. Uh, some of you have been to the emergency room before. You've heard me use this illustration. You, know, you go to the emergency room, you've got three people. You've got somebody who says, I cut myself and it's a pretty bad cut. And you have somebody who says, I think I got bit by a spider and that's a really bad welt. And you have somebody else who says, I'm having chest pains. And the triage nurse has to decide in what order are we going to see those folks because those are all potentially serious things, but a couple of them might not be that serious. So who makes that decision? It's the triage nurse, right? So that's what we're trying to do. Theological triage attempts to recognize the fact that some doctrines are more central to the Christian faith, while other doctrines, though still important, are less central. So theological triage, as Dr. Moeller conceives it, and I'm his disciple on this, uh, he divides it into three categories, and I think this is really helpful. So he talks about first order or primary doctrines, 
These are beliefs that are essential to authentic Christian faith. If you deny or reject or redefine these doctrines, that means you are something different than a Christian. Even if you use Christian lingo and affirm some Christian concepts. So I'm going to give you an example of some doctrines that I believe are first-order doctrines. Things like the Trinity, that God is three in one. The inspiration of Scripture, the full deity and humanity of Jesus, that He's fully God and fully man. Universal human sinfulness, uh, the atonement, salvation by grace through faith. These are Christianity 101, if you will. And if you err with one of these first order doctrines, that's heresy. And heresy is not just bad doctrine. Heresy is damnably bad doctrine. The sort of things that if you persist in believing it, we cannot be confident you're a Christian. Now, we don't mean wrestling with it. Some of you have said, I don't understand this whole Trinity thing. And if you don't admit that, you're a liar. And some of you, there may have been things you not, you may have become a Christian and believed in Jesus not knowing certain things about Jesus. But your hope was built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So we're not saying you have to be a theologian to be saved in this way, but what we're saying is saved people think rightly about these things as they come into a knowledge of these things. Does that make sense? And if you say, I don't believe that, then my response is, let's talk about the gospel. But that's not where the real action is. The real action is with the secondary and the tertiary doctrines. So the second, second order or secondary doctrines, uh, these are doctrines uh, that are debated by Christians to such a degree, it is difficult for two believers with significantly different views to be a part of the same church or group of churches. Not always impossible, but like really difficult to do it. So this would include doctrines like uh, biblical infallibility and inerrancy. We're going to talk about that next week. Different views of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, church leadership and polity, uh, the structure of a church. Uh, miraculous spiritual gifts. Uh, eternal security. Whether or not we can ordain women to pastoral ministry. Most denominations or networks of churches are formed because of strong convictions about these secondary doctrines. To err in one of these is to embrace not heresy but heterodoxy. An incorrect doctrine that potentially hinders your spiritual maturity but that can honestly be held by sincere believers. Does that make sense? So think about the stuff 
that would cause you, if you were moving to a new community, to say, I don't think I could join that church. I think most of them love Jesus. But because they believe that, or they do that, I just don't think I could flourish in that church. That's the sort of thing that we're talking about. It's the type of thing, again, that divides churches and makes it difficult, not impossible, but difficult to be in the same church and thrive. That's where the action is with churches. Then there's the third order, and this is where the action is in Sunday school classes. Third order or tertiary doctrines are beliefs that are widely debated by Christians, but that don't normally preclude two believers from being part of the same congregation or denomination. So this might include things like how best to understand predestination, or the nature of the millennium, or non-miraculous spiritual gifts, the finer points of original sin, debates about whether the earth is old or young. We might also put in here individual matters of conscience when it comes to things like entertainment and leisure choices. Should you or should you not watch R-rated movies or PG-13 movies? Should you or should you not listen to secular music? Things like education strategies. Some people have really strong opinions about homeschooling or private schooling or public schooling. Uh, Things like alcohol consumption. Should Christians be teetotalers or can Christians drink in moderation? Most would agree Christians ought not to be drunk. But again, this is the stuff that we debate about with people in our small groups sometimes or maybe even members of our family sometimes in, in a believing family. So to err with these third-order doctrines is just simply to be wrong about a doctrine that's genuinely important but ultimately has less impact on your spiritual health than even the first or the second-order doctrines. Now, I want to be clear about this. Every doctrine matters. And when we talk about theological triage, we're not being like pluralists who say, oh, who cares, it doesn't matter. Uh, Somebody's right and somebody's wrong about all these things. But we live in a fallen world, and no individual Christian, local church, or denomination has a perfect understanding of every biblical doctrine. So theological triage, I think, is a helpful model for discerning how essential a given doctrine is to the faith itself, the type of church we choose to join, or who we choose to cooperate and how we choose to cooperate with them. Again, let me give you a cooperation example. Uh, if If I am engaged in a project to serve the homeless, like a community project to serve the homeless, I don't care if the church I'm partnering with sprinkles babies and calls it baptism if they're preaching the gospel and they're committed to serving the poor. But I can't plant a church with a church that has a different view about baptism. I can in good conscience do that. If I'm passing out a gospel tract with a group of Christians from different churches, I don't care if the person next to me thinks that sincere Christians can lose their salvation. I think she's really wrong about it. But if she's trying to see lost people come to faith in Christ, I can pass out a gospel tract with her. 
So that's the sort of questions that we're getting at when we think about theological triage. Like, Who do we run with? And who do we not run with? And when do we run with them and when do we not run with them? Now, as you're looking at that list of three, there may be, especially in the second and third categories, you may be saying, I don't know, Nathan. I think that issue is a number two and not a three. (laughs) Or you may be saying, I don't know, Nathan. I would put that on number three and not number two. I think you might be making a bigger deal out of that. And that's okay. We're not going to agree on all those things, but the point is having some way of thinking about this where you recognize that not every doctrine is at the same level. Because what we don't want to do is make everything a fight to the death about debatable stuff or to not be concerned about really important stuff. This is a little simplistic, but I've heard it said this way. The problem with capital L liberals is they make everything a tertiary doctrine. And the problem with capital F fundamentalists is sometimes they make everything a primary doctrine. We just want to think rightly and be wise as we navigate these different questions, even in this room, because though I have not polled you and you have not interrogated me, I'm just looking around the room and I am 100% positive we are not all going to agree on things in those second and third categories. But we're going to have fun while we talk about them. So, if you're wondering how is this going to affect the way we're teaching, we're going to spend more time on primary doctrines than we spend on secondary doctrines. We're going to spend more time on secondary doctrines than we do tertiary doctrines, even though the tertiary doctrines is what you like to debate in your Sunday school class. And when we're talking especially about the tertiary doctrines, there's going to be many times where I'm going to say, here's three different options and the strengths and weaknesses of each option, and I wrestle between two of these, or I'm not sure, or it's okay if we disagree on that. And, and we're just going to have to be grown-ups about that and keep loving each other uh, because that's, that's where we are. So any questions about theological triage? How should we study theology? So the most widely used theology textbook the last 30 years is uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Some of you have heard that name, Wayne Grudem, before. Grudem gives six guidelines for the study of theology. I think it's really helpful. He says we should study theology prayerfully. We should pray that the same Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible would give us the wisdom and understanding to rightly interpret, synthesize, and apply God's written words. We want to have calloused knees as we're studying theology. He says we should study theology with humility. While we can think rightly about God and His world, none of us can do it comprehensively. Deuteronomy 29.29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And our doctrinal convictions should only be as firm as Scripture is clear. Our theology must always remain revisable as we scrutinize it according to the Word. And every one of us in this room, including me, need to be open to changing our mind even in the next few weeks as we study theology together, if we become sincerely convinced that Scripture is teaching something different. 
than we came into it with. He could have also said, by study theology with humility, don't be that person who's always berating other people with your theological opinions. He didn't mention that. You know who that person is. There's lots of that persons out there. Don't be that person. Number three, we should study theology with reason. We need to remember that God has endowed us with the gift of reason, and we should use this gift as we study doctrine. This is important. Logical coherence doesn't prove an idea is true. But a lack of logical coherence demonstrates it is either false or needs to be articulated better. Does that make sense? You can be perfectly logical and be logically wrong. But if there's not a logic to it, you've still got work to do. You're not there yet. Logic is a good negative test of sound doctrine. But again, you can be perfectly logically consistent and, uh, and be wrong. We should study theology with help from others. Theology, like every part of the Christian life, is a community project. So, we should study theology with the help of the best of the Christian tradition. should study it listening to pastors and other teachers. And any spirit-indwelled brother and sister in Christ, which is every brother and sister in Christ, with whom we search the Scriptures, especially those who are part of our local church. We want to do theology together. Because you know what happens when people go off and do theology in a corner? They become false teachers. We want to do theology together. You want your friends asking you hard questions about your convictions. Because we want to be right. We want to be right. We should study theology comprehensively. Theology should be driven by the text of Scripture, and we need to bring all of Scripture to bear upon every doctrine. This is a major temptation sometimes. We say, man, I've got nine Scriptures that seem really clear about this issue, and that tenth one, I don't know what to do with it, so I'm just going to ignore it. We don't get to ignore the tricky stuff. Sometimes the tricky stuff helps us better understand the other nine. Sometimes the other nine are so clear, we just have to say, I don't know what that tricky thing means. But we don't get to ignore the tricky thing. So we've got to study Scripture comprehensively. One theologian says it like this, Theology is what we say on the basis of the entire witness of Scripture. Not just that one verse or that famous passage. And finally, and I love it that he ends with this, we should study theology as an act of worship. As believers, we study theology as an act of worship. Uh, the ancient theologians in the early church had a great Latin motto, Lex orandi, Lex credenda. Interpreted, it means something like the law of prayer or liturgy is the law of believing. That's the way that they approach theology, and we want to do the same thing. Sound theology should cause us to worship. And authentic worship should be an aspect of lived theology that glorifies the Lord. So let me close by making some recommendations, and then I think we'll have four or five minutes for open conversation if you're interested. 
So I'm going to... Most weeks, I'm going to recommend books and articles about particular doctrines, but we're doing theology in general today, so you'll want to keep these in the back of your mind kind of all spring. I would recommend the ESV Systematic Theology Study Bible. You can go get it. It's wonderful. Now, ESV Study Bible, we recommended that last semester. It has a lot of great resources. But if you're feeling pretty nerdy, the Theology Study Bible digs a little bit deeper. The Gospel Coalition's website has a huge collection of theological essays on different doctrines, and I'm going to be quoting them a lot this semester because it's leading scholars of different doctrines doing theology for everyday Christians who are going to that website. It's really helpful, and, uh, and so I'm going to be commending that to you. A book that was recently published uh, this past summer, You Are a Theologian, an invitation to know and love God well is an outstanding introduction to Christian theology for everyday Christians. This is the leader, the former leader, they're not in the same church anymore, but this was the women's ministry leader and the men's ministry leader. And the men's ministry leader also did their version of the institute. We literally named this the institute after what they did. And they came together and wrote an everyday theology book for members of their church. It's wonderful, and I suspect I will be recommending it for years. Many of you know the name J.I. Packer. His book, Concise Theology, is uh, just a great resource, little short articles, three or four pages on a whole bunch of doctrines. He's one of the leading evangelical theologians of the past 50 years, and he's also writing for lay people. For those of you who are looking for a comprehensive resource every copy of which is purchased helps to feed starving children in my household. Uh, a handbook of theology, <laughs> it's actually my most recent book, um, came out this past summer, and, and it's uh, all Baptist scholars, almost 50 introductory essays on various doctrines about how to think about doctrine and think doctrinally about different questions. Uh, and so... I'd recommend it to you even if my name wasn't on the front. I think it's a good book. Uh, for those of you who say, I might be interested in like a college-level theology book, I think uh, Chris Morgan and Robert Peterson's Christian Theology is the best place to start. It's about 400 pages written for college freshmen and sophomore. For those of you, and we're going to talk about this for a second, for those of you who say, you know what, I read theology for fun, or I went to Bible college, and we had a theology book, and I really think I want to dig into like one of those thousand-page systematic theology books. I've just recommended several authors here, and you can see that list. They're from different traditions. There are Baptists, Presbyterians. There's even a Bible-believing Anglican who's on there. Every one of them are good, but every one of them, there's things I agree and disagree about. So what I would say is if you want to read a book like that, Come talk to me about kind of where you're coming from and what you're interested, and I'll try to steer you in the right direction and, uh, and talk to you about those books individually. And then I also want to recommend three different series where there's a different book on doctrines. Uh, Theology for the People of God, uh, which is a Baptist uh, series. Uh, I'm actually one of the editors of that series. Uh, Foundations for Evangelical Theology. A lot of Baptists write for it, but some other good folks as well and uh, Contours of Christian Theology. All of those are good. You can go to Amazon or Christian Book and uh, 
Google those names and find the different books on the different doctrines. And next week we'll actually talk about one that, uh, that intersects with our topic. So I know that that's a lot of information, just kind of background to help us orient ourselves as we begin to study. Next week we're going to talk about the doctrine of Scripture. And then we're going to start talking about the doctrine of God. And we'll just keep moving through the doctrines. But any questions about how we're starting things off? Any questions? Going once. Going twice. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that there are teachers and tools and tradition and most importantly, Holy Scripture to help us to think rightly about you. And we pray that you'd help us to do that this semester, Lord. We pray that you would grant us uh, open minds, soft hearts, calloused knees, generous spirits, Lord, and help us to grow in our love for you and our love for each other and our love for the lost. And we look forward to doing that in Jesus' name. Amen.